Hello, I'm Jacob Kruger, and this is the Write Your Screenplay Podcast. On this podcast, rather than reviewing movies in terms of two thumbs up, two thumbs down, loved it or hated it, we look at them to discover what we can learn from them as screenwriters. We look at good movies and bad movies, movies that we loved and movies that we hated. This podcast is provided totally free and with no outside advertising. So if you enjoy it, please share with your friends and write us a review on iTunes. It really makes a difference. For a full transcript, please visit our website, writeyourscreenplay.com. This week, we're going to be looking at Beauty and the Beast. It could be argued that a virtually shot-for-shot live-action remake of an animated film that originally premiered in 91 is kind of an odd choice for a screenwriting podcast. Why not talk about the original script by Linda Wolverton that made this movie worth watching in the first place 26 years ago? But with a record-breaking $170 million opening weekend, there is no doubt that Beauty and the Beast is going to shape the future of big-budget Hollywood movies. And that means it has a lot to teach us as screenwriters. On the one hand, there is some cause for concern. The Hollywood trend over the last few years of remaking old movies rather than investing in new ones has been troubling, not only for studio writers, but also for many producers who've watched a great migration of top Hollywood talent into independent film, self-production, and of course, television, where they have a lot more opportunities to be challenged artistically, work creatively, and develop original material. But recently, we've started to see a shift with original movies like Get Out, La La Land, Manchester by the Sea, Moonlight, and Arrival, not only winning awards, but also hugely exceeding box office expectations. We're starting to see a trickle-up effect as companies like Amazon and Netflix have started entering the feature film market as well, reinvigorating both writers and producers for the potential of a renaissance in feature films that can mirror the one that we're seeing right now in television. Which is why Beauty and the Beast's success scared the crap out of so many big-budget writers and producers, especially on the cusp of what seemed like a potential tipping point in the Hollywood model. But though this may mean we're going to have to endure live-action remakes of everything from Bambi to The Lion King over the next few years, I actually think the tremendous success of film musicals like Beauty and the Beast and La La Land suggests another step in the exciting disruption we've been seeing in the traditional Hollywood business model. And that is exciting news if you are a screenwriter. Back when I was coming up in the industry, selling a musical was darn near impossible. I developed one with Robbie Fox, the writer of So I Married an Axe Murderer. But even the powerful production company I was working for couldn't get any investment. I wrote another with Alain Boublil and Claude Michel Schoenberg, the writers of Broadway's Les Miserables and Miss Saigon, which at one point had some even more famous directing and producing attachments. It seemed an inch from production before it all fell apart. I even wrote one with four-time Academy Award winner Michelle Legrand. Yep, same story. And these projects didn't fall apart because they weren't great stories or because they didn't have great writers behind them. Everybody loved these projects and everyone wanted to work with these people. They fell apart because it was common knowledge in the industry that film musicals just don't make money because adult audiences just aren't into film musicals anymore. You could see where I'm going with this. It starts with $170 million over one weekend. Does that mean you should run out and write a film musical right now? Well, not necessarily. Film musicals like La La Land and Beauty and the Beast succeed because of the love these writers have for the material. 
not because they're out there chasing the next Hollywood trend. But what it does mean is that if anyone ever tells you what's commercial or not commercial in Hollywood, or if anyone ever tells you that your idea is commercial or not commercial, there's one thing you know for sure. That person is lying to you. And they're also lying to themselves. Hollywood is a lot like high school. Trends come in and trends go out. But it's actually the rule breakers who set these trends, the scripts that blazed their own trail and proved that they could be successful doing something new. Unless you're literally on the phone every day finding out what's fashionable today, which is what producers, agents, and managers do for a living, you can be pretty sure that you have no freaking idea what's actually commercial or not today. And even if you did, by the time you finished writing the script that chased that trend, the fashion would likely have already changed. Anyone remember Z Cavaricci pants? If you're my age, you do. They were the hottest thing ever for about two weeks back in the early 80s. Ridiculous things with flaps and buttons that made absolutely no sense. But if you were an eight-year-old and you could get your hands on a pair, it meant that you were going to be the hottest thing in elementary school. I remember begging my mom for a pair of Z Cavariccis, saving up my pennies for months until I finally had enough, with a little help from her, to buy a pair. And then I finally showed up at school, feeling like the hottest thing on the planet, and pretty much convinced that this was going to be the day that those cool kids finally realized that I was also super cool, and that they should accept me into their little cool kid group. Yeah, you guessed it. By the time that happened, those stupid pants were already out of style. Unless you're a huge agent or manager, by the time you get word of what's happening in Hollywood, you're usually already two years behind what's actually happening today. Even producers who read the trades every day know that they're getting information that's already many, many months old, deals that have been in the works forever, that are only just now being announced. Information is currency in Hollywood, just like it is in elementary school. And people tend to sit on the real stuff for as long as they can to make sure that nobody can get the scoop on them. So often as writers, we feel out of breath chasing these trends and always feeling like we're just a few steps behind, a few moments too late to have the career we actually dream of. But the truth is, what kind of script are you going to write under that much pressure? Most likely a crappy one. And you're not going to have much fun writing it either. Because instead of writing the thing you're desperate to write, you're going to be writing the thing you think you should write. Instead of going on an unforgettable journey with yourself and your characters, you're going to be retreading the same ground other writers have already tread. And since that journey didn't evolve naturally from you, it's likely going to be filled with cliches. So it's time for a little tough love that may scare you a bit but also hopefully will set you free from this breathless trend chasing and allow you to put your focus back on what really matters in your writing. Even if you spent every day at the studio lot, following famous producers around and listening in on exactly what everyone wants in Hollywood right now, by the time you came up with the idea, wrote the first draft, and revised it to a place where it was actually ready for professional eyes, the chances are those producers are already going to have moved on to the next hot idea. That may sound depressing, but I think it's freeing. Because once you realize that you can't time the market, it frees you up from all that pressure, all that feeling that you're behind where you're supposed to be, or not writing what you should be writing. And it allows you to put your focus back on what really matters to you, 
Not writing the script that everybody wants, but rather the one that only you can write. At a recent First Fridays event here at the studio, we had a wonderful guest speaker, Alex Fumero, who's the VP of Programming for HBO. Alex had something profound to say about what he's looking for when a writer comes in for a pitch meeting, and I think it will be valuable for you to know. For Alex to be interested, he doesn't just have to feel like it's a great idea with a great execution. As the vice president of programming for one of the most sought-after networks in the world, he sees great ideas and great scripts every day. For Alex to be interested, he needs more than a great script. He needs to know why you are the only writer in the world who could have written this project in exactly this way. In other words, Alex isn't just looking for great scripts. He's looking for something much more important. Great voices. And voice is not something you discover writing the thing you should be writing. It's something you discover writing the thing that you want to write, even if it doesn't yet make sense to anyone but you. For an example of a hugely successful professional writer, Eric Heisserer, who did exactly that, you can listen to my podcast on Arrival. But the truth is, what you really need to know is that trends come and go, and then they cycle back around again. Some scripts, if you remember Juno, for example, they get picked up overnight and propel their writers to instant stardom. And others, if you remember Dallas Buyers Club, kick around for 20 years until finally the astrological conditions change and impossible suddenly becomes in demand. That means your success as a screenwriter is going to take some luck. So as much as you'd like to feel like you're in control and as much as a million different gurus would all like you to think that they have the unique formula for success, the truth is that that formula does not exist. The truth is, for success to happen, you've got to get a little lucky. You've got to have the right script and you've got to get it to the right person at the right time. And though you can't control the events that will make that happen, you can make that luck a lot more likely to occur by developing yourself as a writer and by writing the scripts that only you can write so that when that door finally does open for you, you're truly ready to go through it. Sometimes that luck comes right away and sometimes you have to wait a long time until the trends come back around and suddenly your not commercially viable live action musical becomes the thing that everybody in the world is looking for. But here's the thing that's worth remembering. Unless you take the time now to develop your voice and write the script that only you can write, none of this is going to matter. Because buying a script from a new writer or hiring a new writer for a rewrite or work for hire project is not a rational decision. It's an emotional one. Rationally, producers know it's a hell of a lot safer to buy a script from or hire someone with a lot more experience than you have. Which means... The only reason to buy a script from or hire a writer that doesn't have a ton of credits, a powerful agent, or a long history of working with you as a producer is that you believe that that person can give you something that nobody else can give. And that's how you break into this crazy industry. Though we all dream of that big spec sale, for many writers, the script that launches their career is not the one that gets made. It's often the script you've written that a producer wishes they could make. It's that script that convinces them to hire you to write the project that they actually can. To come on as a work-for-hire writer or to rewrite a script that feels like it's missing something. What a producer is buying when they hire you in this way is not just your craft. It's your voice. 
the thing that you bring to a script that no one else could bring, which is why writing and writing and writing is so freaking important because it takes practice to grow to a point where you can bring your specific voice to the often rigid parameters of somebody else's idea. Which brings us back to Beauty and the Beast. Did you notice how completely different in tone the live-action version of Beauty and the Beast felt from the original? Despite following the blueprint of the original nearly shot for shot, director Bill Condon and writers Stephen Chbosky and Evan Spiliotopoulos bring a completely different voice to the remake. Translating the tone of the film from that sweet, traditional Disney technicolor spectrum to one that's a lot darker and more complicated. A kind of fantasy that feels much more like the world of Pan's Labyrinth than anything we'd come to expect from Disney. Without ever neglecting his responsibility to create a big, magical Disney musical that whole families can enjoy, Condon nevertheless weaves his own voice into every moment, darkening and deepening the film and even finding room within the script to find subtle ways to explore the themes of sexuality that have driven his work since Gods and Monsters. This is the next lesson that every writer can learn from Beauty and the Beast, which is just how malleable tone can actually be. I often get asked by students in my classes some version of this question. What if my comedy isn't funny? What if my drama is getting unexpected laughs? What if my noir doesn't feel scary or my thriller doesn't feel thrilling or my action scene doesn't get my adrenaline pumping? What if I just wrote a beautiful dramatic scene that doesn't fit in any way with my broad comedy? Or a goofy comic scene that doesn't fit in any way with my dark thriller? It's easy as an emerging screenwriter to feel out of control of your tone. Sometimes in early drafts, things simply don't come to you the way you expect them. Or to take an example from Beauty and the Beast, you've got a character like Belle's father, Maurice, whose farcical inventions fit wonderfully in the animated version, but would feel completely out of place in the Pan's Labyrinth world of the later draft. But as Beauty and the Beast shows us, tone is actually shockingly malleable. Maurice's character can be played for jokes, or in the later draft, he can be toned down and adapted for pathos and magic. Think, for example, of the beautifully surrealistic scene under the tree when Maurice is rescued by the enchantress Agatha. Tone is more about how things happen than what actually happens. And that means you can adjust it to serve both the creative and the commercial needs of your screenplay. It's also why it's so important as you rewrite to really look at how you put every line of dialogue, every action, and every word on the page to make sure you're actually capturing exactly what you see, hear, and feel, exactly as you see, hear, and feel it in your head. A single word can dramatically change your tone, and with it, the audience's experience of your story. Which means sometimes, if your script is not working, it's not really about the what. It's instead about the how. I'm reminded of something Jerry Perzigian, who teaches our TV comedy classes here at the studio, once said to me. Jerry was a showrunner and writer on shows ranging from The Jeffersons, The Golden Girls, Married with Children, you name it. If it was a hit show in the 80s or 90s, he was on it. And what he said was this. First, you have to write it true. Then you figure out how to make it funny. I think this is one of the best lessons in tone, regardless of your genre, that any writer could ever have. And it's a reassurance that once you've gotten your personal truth out on the page, even your least commercial ideas are the ones that seem to least fit with your current structure, can be adjusted tonally 
in order to deliver what you or your audience wants or needs. So I hope you'll take some inspiration from Beauty and the Beast and from the vast array of new and disruptive films and TV shows that we've seen this year to disrupt your own thinking about what your screenplay has to be and to start opening your mind to what it actually could be if you wrote it in the way that only you could write it. What's the screenplay that only you could write and what would it take for you to get it on the page? I hope that you enjoyed this podcast. Again, we make this podcast available totally free and with no outside advertising. So if it was helpful for you, please do share it with your friends, subscribe to us on iTunes, and write us a review. It really does make a big difference. You can also get a complete transcript of this podcast on our website, writeyourscreenplay.com. And if you'd like to study with me in New York City, online, on one of our international retreats, or one-on-one as part of our ProTrack mentorship program, you can learn more on our website. That's writeyourscreenplay.com. Mm-hmm.